I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, I'll begin reading at verse 1. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 1070. John chapters 14 through 16 of all the Gospels is a very important teaching on the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives to his disciples. Uh, This evening's sermon will be verses 1 to 14, and then for Pentecost Sunday, we'll look at verses 15 to the end of the chapter. So I'll be reading verses 1 to 14. Let us now hear God's word. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going, Thomas said to him. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. By the reading of God's holy word, may it his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it, Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, physical separation is painful and hard. Perhaps it's the death of a loved one, that physical separation is very painful. Or the dissolving of a relationship, that physical separation is difficult and hard. Or perhaps it's a child leaving the home for the first time and moving on, wherever the Lord leads them. That too is hard. Physical separation is hard. It is painful at times. Jesus' earthly ministry will soon come to an end, and he will be physically separated from his disciples. In the previous chapter, he tells his disciples that it's time for God the Father to glorify the Son and for the Son to glorify the Father. And then he tells his disciples, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. This is the context of John chapter 14. The latter half of John chapter 13 sets the context for why Jesus says, let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. The hearts hearts of the disciples are hurting They fear. They're perplexed and confused by the Lord's teaching. Where is he going? 
Where is he going and why can't I go with him? Parents, you probably heard that from children. Where is he going? Can I go with him? They want to go where Jesus goes. He's their Lord. He's their rabbi, their master teacher. You've been with us for three years. Where are you going? But Jesus loves his sheep and he comforts them. We can't miss the comfort of Christ in this passage. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In other words, don't fear. Don't fear. That's what that saying means. Don't fear. Believe in God. Believe in me also. Because to believe and fear God is to believe in the Son and vice versa. Because the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. So right off the bat, he comforts his disciples. Believe. Have faith. Have faith. And it's somewhat reminiscent of a passage in Exodus chapter 14, verse 31, where the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in his servant Moses. And now Jesus is the greater Moses, the greater prophet to come, the one who fulfills all the law and the prophets. Moses came and brought, brought the people the law, gave the people the law, but Jesus came full of grace and truth. And now Jesus is saying, believe in me. Believe in God the Father. He comforts his disciples with the profound and practical truths concerning his ascension. He comforts them with the doctrine, the teaching of his ascension. It's not some abstract theological teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes it very practical, very comforting for them and for us. And for us. We can't miss that. Because following his death and resurrection from the dead, he will depart the earthly realm and enter the spiritual realm, the heavenly places, with his glorified body. Imagine that for a second. Jesus, in a, his physical, glorified, immortal, incorruptible body, enters into a spiritual realm with flesh and blood. As he was lifted up on the cloud into the heavenly places, no longer to be seen by his disciples physically. His ascension has profound and practical implications for his office as high priest. And it has practical implications for the well-being of each and every one of his sheep. For you, Christian. Particularly here for his disciples whom he's speaking to. Jesus comforts his disciples with the truth of his ascension to the Father. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. First, Jesus ascends. Jesus goes to the Father to prepare a place for his disciples, to prepare a place for his people, the sheep of his pasture. It's clearly there. In my Father's house are many rooms or many mansions, many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. In heaven the Father has many rooms, many mansions, and Christ is going to make arrangements. That's what that word, to prepare a place, He's going to make arrangements for your arrival there. We're not quite sure of the meaning of this metaphor of the Father has many mansions. He could be referring to the custom in that day, how a family had a particular house, and when children married, they, they built on rooms to that home, so the whole house got bigger. Or is he referring to the temple in heaven? What's certain is that in heaven, the Father has a place for his children who have faith in Christ. There's a place in heaven for Christ's sheep. Take note what he says here, though. In my Father's house are many rooms, many places. I go to prepare a place for you. Why does Jesus have to prepare a place when God already has rooms there for you and me, for his disciples? Does Jesus have to go and do some rehab on the, on the rooms in, in heaven? What is he talking about? Prepare a place to make arrangements for his people. What needs preparing? What needs preparing? How does Jesus go to prepare a place for his disciples? Well, before he ascends into heaven, Jesus must lay down his life for his sheep. He must lay down his life for God's people, shed his precious blood to cleanse them and redeem them. He must be raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures to conquer sin, death, and hell. Jesus must die and be raised so that in his ascension he goes to prepare a place because by his blood he cleanses his people, makes us whole, makes us new creations, in himself, and he makes arrangements for you and I to enter the heavenly places because of his work, because of his perfect work. He makes arrangements to prepare that inheritance that is for all the saints. You, if you're a confessing Christian in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've repented and believed on his name, there's an inheritance awaiting for you, prepared by Christ. Prepared in the heavenly places. Prepared in God's mansion. Is that not worthy of praise, Christian? Is that not worthy of praise? He says that he will come again and take the disciples to himself. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Now there are questions about what is meant here, that I will come again. Will he come, ag come again in his second coming? Is that what's being referred to here? Or, or when the disciples die, when we die, he will come to receive us into eternal glory? I think he's referring to the former, to the second coming. 
But in either case, Jesus calls his disciples, he calls his children to himself, to the place that he has prepared for those he bought with his precious blood. We enter the temple. We enter the Most High place. We ascend the hill of the Lord, not by our clean hands and pure hearts, but no, by the clean hands and pure hearts of the conquering, risen Son of God and Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? By His precious blood, by His glorious resurrection, He prepared the place for us and will call us to Himself. That where He is, there we we may be also. That where His flesh is, our flesh will be with Him also. Incorruptible, immortal, indestructible. Never to die again. That's the place Christ prepares. This is why He ascends. To make arrangements for all His disciples to dwell in God's house And it is Jesus who takes them there. Now, interestingly, this word in verse 2, in my Father's house are many rooms. The word rooms is only used one other time in Scripture. And we're going to hear it about it on Pentecost Sunday. Verse 23, look with me in your Bible. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So yes, Jesus prepares that eternal inheritance in heaven for us. But meanwhile, because He ascends, He and the Father will make their home with us. But that's for a later sermon. Jesus ascends to prepare a place for His disciples. Secondly, Jesus ascends to be the only way to the Father. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Thomas has many questions and doubts. He represents just about every Christian. (laughs) He represents the twelve. At verse 5, he asks a legitimate question. If we don't know where you are going, how can we know the way? In other words, if we don't know the destination to which you are going, how can we know the means by which to get to that destination? The destination determines by what means of transportation is necessary. Lord, if you're going on the other side of Galilee, should we take a boat or should we walk across the lake, the Sea of Galilee? Where are you going? We don't know. What route do we take? What road? What means of transportation? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas says, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? How can we know the way? Jesus, can we put a GPS pin on you? Find out where you're going. We can find out the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. One of the I am statements in the Gospel of John. 
bringing our attention back to Exodus chapter 3. I am who I am. Jesus is the great I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way. The only way to our Father in heaven is through a person, not ritualism, not playing church or religion. The way to the Father is through a person, the person of Jesus Christ and His work on behalf of His people. There are different ways to destinations on earth, aren't there? If you want to go to a certain city, you can take a highway, byway, a back road. You can take a train, plane, or automobile. That's not the case with the destination to heaven, to God the Father. There's only one way. There's only one name under heaven by which man must be saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Only one way. You can't take a back road. You can't determine what kind of transportation you want to take. No, the, transport, the only way, the only means is a person. And he is Christ the Lord. And herein lies the exclusivity of the Lord Jesus Christ. The exclusivity of the Christian faith. So then, young people, boys and girls, adults, if you ever have someone tell you that Jesus or the Bible never claimed to be the only way or that He is one way among many, well, Jesus here proves them wrong. Let Jesus speak for Himself. He speaks for Himself. He is the only way to heaven, to the Father. If someone claims that Jesus ne- that never uh, claimed to be God, then Jesus Himself in this passage proves them wrong too. For He is true God and true man. He claimed to be God and He is God. He is one with the Father. In fact, that is why they crucified, wanted Him crucified, right? He claimed to be God, one with the Father. Jesus is the way. He ascended, and, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father and He is the way to the Father. You go through the Son. Through the Son. The way is through the Son to the Father. Jesus is the truth. He is the way, He is the truth. He is the truth in the flesh incarnate. He speaks the very Word of God because He is God. He is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And He came to preach and teach that which His Father gave Him to teach. He did not teach on His own authority, but taught what His Father told Him to teach. And He preached because He was indwelt with the Spirit on His baptism and preached in the power of the Spirit. And he did not speak on his own authority, but the Father who dwells in him does his works. He is the truth. He is the life. In him there's abundant life because he is God. In God there's no death. In Christ there is life and life eternal because God is life. He is the God of the living and not the dead. Therefore, in Christ we have life and life eternal. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He ascends, he ascends to be the only way to God, the Father. He is your only way. And we look to Him. 1 John chapter 5 combines a lot of these themes. Commit this verse, these verses to memory. 
Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Life is in Christ. And the way to the Father is way through the life of Christ. Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus has words of eternal life. Jesus ascends to be the way, the truth, and the life. The way to the Father. Because He is life. He is truth. He is the way. Verses 8-11 to don't want to get into heavily here, but Philip wants to see the Father. And Jesus is like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen my works, you've seen the Father's work. If you hear my teaching, you hear the Father's teaching. Because I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Jesus prepares, ascends to prepare a place for his disciple. He descends to be the only way to the Father. And he also ascends to empower his disciples to do greater works. To do greater works. Verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. He ascends to the Father at the right hand of the Father, where he is seated in all glory, power, and majesty, ruling and reigning over this world. And it is advantageous for his church, for his sheep, for his people, that he is there. Because he will send forth his Spirit. The Father and the Son will send forth the Spirit of God upon the people of God. And through the ministry of the Word of God, the various ministries of the Word, the preaching, teaching, the discipleship making, the Bible studies, all the ways in which the ministry of, of God, is, Word of God is at work, Jesus is doing a great work through His disciples by the power of the Spirit. Jesus continues to do His work. And we see that right at the beginning of Acts chapter 1. When Luke talks about the things that Jesus formerly did, but now what He continues to do because of His ascension to the right hand of God and through preaching and teaching, through gospel teaching and evangelism and outreach, the Spirit will draw many to saving faith in Christ. A beautiful example of this is the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost when Peter was in, all the Christians were indwelt with the Spirit of God and Peter preached a bold sermon in the power of the Spirit and thousands came to Christ. 3,000 baptized in the name of Christ. Greater works are being done Yes, the disciples healed the sick, cast out demons, but the great work is a great spiritual work being done in the hearts of sinners. And these great works are being done through preaching and teaching by the power of the Spirit of the living God. This is why preaching is so essential. 
That's why people in Texas and New York, throughout this world, need to hear the true gospel of Jesus Christ because he's the only hope, the only salvation, the only way to God. I'm reminded of what Jesus says. Repent unless you too likewise perish. Oh Jesus, who's the greater sinner? Pilate or, or these folks over here? Forget about them. Forget about them. Unless you repent and believe, you too will likewise perish. And so the call of the gospel is to preach Christ crucified and risen, to repent and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be saved. And the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in preaching and teaching and evangelism and outreach and all the various ministrations of the Word of God. And so Jesus ascends to empower, to give boldness to disciples. Like I spoke of last week, pray, 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 pray for boldness. Oh, how we are weak in prayer, how we go about our day in our own strength and might. Jesus comforts his disciples because they know they need him. They're discouraged. They need comfort. They're perplexed. They need understanding and wisdom. Jesus ascends and he empowers the disciples to do the work of ministry. So then it's for our good that Jesus ascended to the right hand of God. I just want us to take note for a second here how Jesus comforts his disciples first with, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you and then I'll, I'll come back and bring you to myself. Until then, until then, what do you do? What do you do? Preach my name to the nations. Proclaim my name to the nations. Christians, that's why we exist, to glorify God and to be salt and light, teaching people, pointing people, loving people in the name of Christ. We exist to glorify Him, pointing people to Jesus. Because we're just pilgrims passing through here, friends. We're pilgrims. That's it. We're like a mist. And Jesus ascends to empower His church to be bold. To preach Christ crucified and risen. To call people to enter the kingdom of God through the flesh of Christ, through the body of Christ, through His death and resurrection. God the Holy Spirit will do the great work of conversion, bringing about repentance and faith in His people. That said, the church is called to be a people of prayer, to seek His face and blessing, to know a fruitful ministry in the name of Christ, is to be a people of prayer. It's no wonder why Jesus concludes this particular section here at verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Prayer. Jesus ascends to intercede for his disciples. 
to be that, that mediator between God and man, to be that great high priest who intercedes for the saints, that we can boldly approach the throne of grace in time of need and ask for mercy and, and ask the Father for mercy through Christ the Son. Jesus ascends to intercede before the Father on our behalf. Think about this. The Son has our undivided attention and the Father has our undivided attention in prayer because the Son has the Father's ear. That's a metaphor, by the way. Boys and girls, God, does, the Father doesn't have ears. But He has our attention. Have you thought about that before when you pray? That your Father in heaven has your undivided attention. I'm glad the Father's not like me. <laughs> when my wife's trying to talk to me and I'm out in Never Never Land. Uh, can I have your undivided attention here? I'm talking to you. Oh, what? What? Through Christ the Son, the Father has your undivided attention. The only prayer that God hears is a prayer directed to the Son and through the Son in faith, sanctified by the blood of the Son and in the power of the Spirit. The Father hears your prayer. In the Son, through the Son, by the blood of the Son, by the power of the Spirit, the Father hears your prayers. It's a triune God work that's going on in prayer. Read Romans 8. Jesus says if we pray in His name, He hears and answers us. What does it mean by anything? Anything, I believe, refers to everything God desires to give us which is already revealed in His Holy Word, the Bible. For example, the exhortation that it is God's will for your life that you be sanctified. Your sanctification is God's will for your life. He says this, Paul says to Timothy, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Pray for God to sanctify you, producing, producing the fruit of the Spirit in you. Ask diligently, persistently. Seek. Remember, seeking is asking plus doing, putting your hand to the plow. I'm seeking God for His strength and power to put to death these sins in my life. To put on Christ. But James says, you do not have because you do not ask. Because the motive of the heart is wrong. Another example is the exhortation that Jesus gives here. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus is our comfort. He comforts us. Lord Jesus, comfort me by the power of your Spirit. This is what we can persistently pray. And in this time, to His glory and to your well-being and good, he will comfort you. I don't know of a Christian who has gone through tumultuous times or even at the death of a loved one who has not known the comfort of Christ and who will testify of His comfort in great grief and sorrow. 
greater works. Is another example, praying, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, do a mighty work among your people here in Emmanuel, among your people within the Federation of URC churches, within the true churches of the Lord Jesus Christ, throughout this world, the church militant. Pour out the power of your Spirit through the ministry of the Word. Why don't we pray? That's my question. Why don't we pray? Why are we weak in prayer? Churches may be doctrinally strong, and yet they may be spiritually and practically weak. On the other hand, churches may be prayerfully strong, and yet have a zeal without knowledge. Other churches are doctrinally strong and understand the profound blessing and grace that God bestows upon those who pray. Jesus' call here is to pray. Ask in my name. Why aren't we asking? Why aren't we asking? The disciples whom Jesus is addressing pray to the Lord, Lord, give us boldness to proclaim your name despite the persecution, despite the hands of evil men who sought to destroy them. Help us to proclaim your name, and when persecution comes, we will rejoice. They weren't praying for persecution, but when persecution came, they were able to rejoice because they suffered for the sake of his name. Because they know their king, the Lord, Jesus Christ, reigns and rules at the Father's right hand, and he will execute justice righteously and perfectly. And they submit to his lordship, and they call upon his name. I'm reminded once again, I've used this illustration before, I'm going to use it again, of Charles Spurgeon, who was showing a friend of his uh, the tabernacle that he was preaching at, a minister at, for several, several years, many decades, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And it was before an evening service, and Spurgeon was taking him around the, uh, the different rooms and the sanctuary, and his friend asked him a question, uh, and asked him, Charles, how did you manage to maintain the interest of the people in the work for such a long succession of years? How are you able to continue preaching and teaching God's word? And Spurgeon took him to a place. He said, come with me, I want to show you something. And so he took him to a room, and the door was closed. And this room was in the basement of the church. And quietly he opened the door and said, there it is, my heating apparatus. It was evening prayer meeting in the basement of this church before an evening service. And Spurgeon said, this is my heating apparatus. People pray that God will bless, by the power of the Spirit, He would bless the service. That He would pour out His Spirit upon the ministry of the Word. That He would pour out His Spirit upon people's hearts, bring about conversion, bring about justifying grace, sanctifying grace. That He would bring about revival in hearts and minds. A thousand people praying before an evening service. This is my heating apparatus, says Spurgeon. Jesus ascends to intercede for his disciples. 
You have access to the throne of grace. Ask in my name. Ask persistently. And whatever you ask, I will give you. Because he grants every spiritual blessing in Christ. Jesus ascends to prepare a home for us in heaven. Jesus ascends to be the only way to the Father. He ascends to empower his disciples to gospel ministry. And he ascends to intercede for his disciples before the Father. Because of this, take heart. Do not fear. Be of good courage. It is for our good and to his glory that Jesus Christ has ascended and is at the right hand of the Father. And where his body is, where his flesh is, where his resurrected body is, there we shall be also in that last day when he comes to judge the living and the dead. And we will be with him forever. We will be with him forever. And in that last day, the saints will judge the nations with King Jesus. Jesus' ascension, does it matter? You better believe it matters. Because what God is doing now in the church militant, in the church universal, is Jesus' work continuing as he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we are so thankful that we can approach your throne of grace through Christ our Lord. We thank you, O Lord, that you empower your church by the power of the Spirit to boldly proclaim the gospel of Christ crucified and risen, that he is the only hope of salvation, the only hope for the forgiveness of sins, and the only hope for eternal life. We thank you for the Spirit of the living God who is poured out upon the people of God to bring about new birth, new creation. We know that salvation from beginning to end is from your sovereign and good hand, O Lord. And we thank you, O Lord, that you are doing a mighty work as your gospel is preached. We pray, O Lord, that you would do a mighty work here and abroad. That even in these dark times, that the the kingdom of God will go forth and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. That we would destroy strongholds in the name of Christ and for Christ and his glory. May you protect your sheep, protect your church, O Lord. And grant us your grace to go forth from this place. To be a shining light for Christ. We pray this in Jesus' presence.